This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Radio, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. I'm Maura Dooley. Everybody having a great long weekend, hopefully. Well, hopefully, A, it is a long weekend for you. Maybe you took Friday off work after <laughs> July 4th and are just having a good time with friends and family this weekend. How about you guys? Did you enjoy July, have, July 4th? I have all 10 of my fingers left. Yeah, good. After the 4th of July. That's true. We talked about safety on this show. We are safety first. So safety with fireworks, safety with drinking and consuming adult beverages as well. Um, but also, yeah, just enjoying the the weather we've been having here in Seattle, enjoying some baseball, that's for sure, out at T-Mobile Park because the Cardinals were here. And anytime I get to see my two favorite teams play each other, that's always fun. How about you, Maura? <laughs> yeah, I just went to a friend's barbecue. Yeah, anytime you can get have a barbecue involved, it's you know, it's the food, yeah. it's the drinks, it's everything. I so. got to see some neighborhood fireworks. So, you know, yeah. good stuff. I will not mess with fireworks myself, <laughs> but I enjoy watching. Yes, exactly. There's enough people that want to participate yes. and want to do them that usually you can get a free show. Later in the hour, we're going to have some great cocktail recipes for you. Bavandas are out for uh, these next couple of months. So we're going to help you celebrate uh, with a couple of great recipes for that. And in the meantime, what's going on in the headlines this week? Well, first up from Yahoo Finance, Amazon has received approval from the FAA to fly drones for deliveries. So your Amazon Prime package is one step closer to being delivered by drone. Uh, the FAA issued certificates to Amazon uh, just in the last weeks, allowing the company to operates, uh, operate a, a particular model of the unmanned aircraft called the MK-27. On the same day, Amazon announced it will be delivering packages to customers by drones within months. So they got the approval. Now they're going through logistics of the actual planning. They made that announcement at the Mars in Las Vegas conference. They uh, The certificate is valid for one year. It's eligible for renewal. They say they've been working hard on fully electric drones that can fly for up to 15 miles and deliver packages under five pounds to customers in less than 30 minutes. Now, back in 2013, Jeff Bezos, who's the founder and CEO, predicted on CBS 60 Minutes that they would be delivering via drone by December of 2013. I'm sorry, within five years. And they're a little behind schedule, but they now have it uh, approved. And you can start seeing those things flying to your house or business in a matter of months. This is crazy to me. And of course, living in Seattle, we are the Amazon headquarters right here. And so we could be part of the, I think, initial testing phase and maybe yeah. maybe one of us will be on the uh, in the 15 minute delivery who knows <laughs> but this is just crazy to me that where we've come as a society of instant gratification how you can get online now and just have it at your fingertips for, I've already been impressed by how I can get it within one day. Right? This is even same day delivery. I mean, yeah, this is just this taking it to another level. I saw on here as well that Uber has also been experimenting and testing drones in its Uber Eats department to get to fast delivery as well, which makes sense to me because that's obviously something that you're ordering based on a very specific time frame. The Amazon package is just kind of crazy because there's some things well, that, you know what, I think you just should should have to wait for that just, you know, it should be we shouldn't demand everything up front on time all the time. 
One thing the state regulators are likely not to allow would be the delivery of alcohol by drone because there's no way yes. to confirm the uh, age of the recipient. So yeah. that'll have to wait uh, a little while longer. Next up from liquor.com, the first ever nude pub license has been issued in London. We've talked about a few of these concepts in the past, but uh, now if you are going to be in the Soho neighborhood of, of London, you can visit Norman's Coach and Horses Pub. This concept started out as a nude charity calendar featuring pub regulars, sparking the idea to become the first drinking hole to apply for what they call a nudist license. I didn't know that there was such a license mm -hmm. uh, to be a nudist license. The bar was granted the permit and is allowed to host nude nights for locals and tourists alike. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Coach and Horse also is known as the first vegan-friendly bar in London, and uh, this is all part of a commitment to stay independent and uniquely uh, historically gritty in the Soho neighborhood. So, uh, again, I would uh, suggest if you're going to go uh, visit this pub, even if one of these evening events is not happening, do not sit on the cloth seats. Opt for a leather chair instead. So interesting that you actually, there's something called a nudist license out there. Yeah. That exists. Didn't and we it's talk something about you a, to fill out paperwork for. A, wasn't it a French restaurant that we talked about when it opened? Yep. And then we talked and about it because it, it closed very shortly yep. after yeah. they did the whole nude thing. So we'll see if it sticks better with a pub. This seems like it might be more in line with just the general. It almost seems, and as weird as it sounds, it doesn't seem like just something they're doing to get publicity. It seems very in line with who they are as a business. So I could see this being more successful, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. I think you're right. I don't think it's it fits the French motif as much as something like this in the Soho neighborhood of London. Yeah. But I, I don't think we're going to see this come into town. I'm a little surprised yeah. by the name. Norman's Coach and Horses Pub. They should have probably called it Shrubs and Twigs or Twigs and Berries, but uh, I'll leave that up to those guys. <laughs> Lastly, from uh, UK Sun, you can now stay in a wine barrel at a vineyard in Portugal, oh. as well as enjoy a full drink. A full day of drinking. Uh, Wait, this see, is in, in a wine barrel? In a wine barrel, yeah. So these oh. are huge, huge wine barrels. These barrels are, uh, um, they they uh, rate them in uh, hectoliters, not just liters. So the equivalent of maybe uh, 5,000 gallons. These are big, big things. It is a 30-meter suite, which equates to about 320 square feet. So bigger than an average hotel room. Uh, it's a barrel that's been turned on its side. They put a door on it. It includes a circular double bed a private wardrobe or what we would consider a closet, a bathroom with a walk-in shower, uh, skylight windows and a private terrace. It's got air conditioning and full Wi-Fi. They are made out of pine wood. Uh, they were designed by the property owners to be exact replicas of the ones used in the wine estate there that you'd be staying at. Wine fans can leave the cabin to explore the 140-acre vineyard before trying some of the wines themselves, including red, white, rosé, and ports. Of course, this is in Portugal, which is the home of uh, port wine. Representatives from the vineyard told the newspaper that they created the wine barrels as a bold architectural project of suites to reinforce the originality of the wine tourism offered at the site, and it'll run you a little less than $200 a night to stay there with breakfast included. Wow, not bad, actually. And I'm looking at these online. They're pretty cool looking uh, and seem you know, they fit in line with a lot of the mini houses and mini things that are seem so popular right kind now. Like a treehouse vibe or Efficient something? Efficient space. Yeah, they're beautiful yeah. and seems like you've got also a pretty nice view to go along with it as well. You do. You might consider them kind of on the scale of a hobbit house or something like that. For the <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. so. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, you've seen it a lot on labels of things you've bought, fair trade certified. But what exactly does that entail? It's next on Cast Club Radio.
Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. We teased it before the break. Fair Trade Certified, it's something we see on a lot of the products we we buy, or at least we want to buy products with that on the label. But what does that actually entail? Well, this uh, comes to us from the drinks business. Ethical consumerism is no longer a niche category. Ethical consumerism has gone from niche to mainstream. A new report has stated as the number of international consumers looking for the fair trade label or certification in wine has risen nearly 10% in just the last year alone. That's a, that is a big jump. According to the Wine Intelligence Report, they look at opportunities for sustainable, organic, and lower alcohol wines. Uh, that's labeled as SOLA, S-O-L-A. Younger consumers are the key demographic for alternative wines due to their open-minded attitudes and willingness to invest time, education, and money into their health. Uh, that's why they're looking for lower alcohol alternatives, which we've talked about on the, on the show multiple times. The recent report found that young wine drinkers were not only more likely to purchase alternative wines, such as organics, fair trade, or sustainable wines, compared to older wine drinkers, but they were also more willing in general to pay a premium for wine in the off and on trade, meaning they're more willing to pay a higher price for fair trade wine, either at the store or at the restaurant. The report showed there was an element of consumer fatigue around the term organic. We've not really talked about that on the show here, have we? How people are viewing that term organic. No, 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 but that's interesting term right there, organic fatigue. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's new fatigue. Uh, the It is an interesting thing. People, five years ago, organic was the big thing. Yeah. And now you go into any major uh, mainstream retailer and they've got big organic sections. Even Costco's got organic eggs and uh, organic fruits and vegetables. So I think the consumer expects that. And what they're looking for now are new things like maybe it's keto diet sustainable or yeah. it's uh, non-GMO or it's uh, paleo diet or it's gluten-free, that type of thing. Very specific niches. Absolutely. Yeah. It's getting, um, especially in this area, as we know very well, Pacific Northwest, people very focused on it. That's right. A consumer survey from the organization found that around 39% of international shoppers who were aware of fair trade wine now look for the fair trade mark when shopping, which is up from 29% just a year ago. The study looked at attitudes across eight countries and asked almost 10,000 consumers. The Fair Trade Foundation wine supply chain manager said there is a very strong body of shoppers who identify with wines of fair trade and want businesses to play fair. Where they can, shoppers will reward companies for doing the right thing uh, because of their purchasing choices and more than ever seem prepared to influence others in their opinion, meaning that they are willing to tell their friends and family why they should be sourcing or buying from fair trade branded products. Yeah, the UK, there's a convenience retailer called the Co-op. They are currently the world's largest retailer of fair trade wine with 36 different products in the range. They boosted the number of ethical wines in recent years and are working with producers to convert their wines to the label, meaning they're trying to get their, their suppliers who are making the wine to change some of their practices, either uh, how they treat their workers on a regular basis, how much they pay their workers, or where they supply from uh, and how much they pay the growers of the grapes. So uh, this is something that we've seen in other product lines. I think particularly the one most known to consumers is probably fair trade and coffee. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those fair mm -hmm. trade coffee beans because people are being exploited around the world. Uh, there's also the fair trade diamonds as opposed to blood diamonds. But this is a real effort on the, on the alcohol industry, specifically in the wine segment, to uh, educate consumers and make sure people are being treated more fairly. Why, why do you think that is that the wine segment is kind of leading the charge on that? I think uh, if you look at the, the demographic of people who are 
wine consumers versus beer consumers versus uh, spirits consumers. I think there's a particular attitude, education, uh, income level, and expectation of folks in wine. I think uh, because wine is being consumed by people who are really that Generation Z in their late 20s, early 30s, before they start to really move into spirits later in life, uh, they've already left the beer category. I think it's just the bubble of the population that's moving through that age group right now. And I think you'll see that transition from wine to spirits uh, as they get older and start to consume more spirits. I was going to ask you, where do you think the future is of this? Well, it'll be more challenging in spirits. I think it becomes less necessary in beer because to a large degree, the broad consumer base is moving towards local and regional brew pubs and craft breweries. And those craft breweries are all typically small family-owned operations or um, small businesses compared to the big companies like Anheuser-Busch. So I think people assume that they are treating their employees fairly anyway because they're small and they're sourcing ingredients from as local area as possible. In spirits, it's, it's a little more complicated because uh, there's there's so many kind of hidden secrets in the spirits world, and most of the spirits are still coming from overseas, that it'll be a challenge to educate the consumer to begin to demand more of a fair trade label, and, and the industry itself might push back. I'm not going to lie. It's not a label that I've really sought out when I go to the store, but I'll, I will have to keep a better eye on that now. <laughs> it's enlightening to yeah. talk about this. Yeah, and I think for me, something I've more paid attention to on, on as you mentioned, coffee earlier in the break are certain items, but not really something I've paid attention to on wine or you know, beer and spirits. So as you mentioned, we're learning stuff every time we do this podcast, and I'll have to... Um, Pay more attention when I go as well. In the spirits um, industry, Justin, is that something that you that you and other local distillers would have to work together on? You'd have to, but you know, to get any kind of momentum, you need a big retailer to give it credence and credibility to kind of force people to the table. Uh, you know, most small producers, small distilleries, and breweries alike. They're just trying to figure out how to keep the lights on, how to educate consumers about their products and how to make better products. Uh, and the, they're, for the most part, they're all doing it very responsibly. A lot of what you see uh, in the, the issue of fair trade really has to do with foreign sourcing of material overseas. So people in countries where the economies are not as strong, where they are agriculturally based and where uh, they are subject to exploitation, being paid less than what the market would, would normally bear for them, um, subjecting them to environmental risks and hazards and, and hours a week limits and that kind of thing. It's really more of an overseas thing than it is here domestic. How do you see people com combating the, we mentioned it, the fatigue surrounding something like organic or fair trade? Well, fatigue is an interesting word that people throw around to get attention. Is it a bad thing that consumers are tired of talking about organic because they have come to just expect that it is something that they have access to? Hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. It means that the big supply chain operations and the retailers have begun to pay attention to the consumer and they're giving them what the consumers are asking for. So. That's why I say it's, it's almost like it's if you're not offering organic stuff, then you're out of the mainstream and you're losing business. Yeah. Wow. Great take. Coming up next on Cast Club Radio, 
We talked to Mike Stewart of the Ballard Alliance about Ballard Seafood Fest coming up next week. If you're a seafood lover, you don't want to miss it. And Heritage Distilling is going to be out there serving cocktails as well. So stay tuned and we'll tell you more next on Cast Club Radio. now joined by Mike Stewart, the executive director of the Ballard Alliance, and he's going to tell us all about Ballard Seafood Fest, which is going on next weekend, July 12th through 14th. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thank you much. I'm uh, glad to be here. Of course. So I, I had to do a little a little background, and I dug and saw that the first Ballard Seafood Fest was all the way back in 1974. So can you tell us a little more about how it got started? Absolutely. Uh, we are indeed now in our 45th year, and, and really Ballard Seafood Fest has a, has a long, rich history in Ballard. Uh, it originally started as a fundraiser for the Ballard Chamber of Commerce at that time. We're now the Ballard Alliance, and it was really centered around a salmon barbecue. And we are fortunate enough to have a great community partner in Trident Seafoods who graciously donates salmon every year for 45 years for the event that we then the community does a special preparation and it's an alder smoked salmon that we serve uh, and we still serve it to this day uh, at this event so we've really we've really grown it throughout the years you know 45 years later now uh, we look at this event as something that kind of celebrates everything ballard which is seafood uh, craft beer and craft cocktails uh, along with some pretty amazing live music yeah, the, the maritime history there is huge, along with the fact that, like you said, the seafood is delicious. I moved from Colorado, you know, obviously pretty landlocked, so I'm excited anytime I get to go to an event where there's that much seafood to enjoy. Well, there, there's a lot of it. So uh, as an organization, we're going to make available about 2,300 pounds of salmon. Wow. In addition to that, we have... 1,500 pounds of Alaskan red king crab legs, about 600 pounds of oysters, 600 pounds of mussels, and that's just us. We have, uh, in addition to that, 50 other food vendors from food trucks to large-scale vendors, uh, all of whom are required to provide at least one seafood product. So if you're interested in seafood and you're a seafood lover, uh, this is definitely the place you want to be on July 12, 13, and 14. That's amazing. So how many, now that it has grown so much over the 45 years, how many people do Mm -hmm. you expect usually over the weekend? We expect over the three-day weekend between 75 and 85,000 people to come into into downtown Ballard and enjoy the festival. You know, on on Friday night, uh, it's, it's the beer garden and the main stage that opens We'll have a few food trucks, and then, of course, there are dozens and dozens of amazing Ballard restaurants that we encourage folks to uh, take part in. And then on Saturday and Sunday, the whole festival opens, and that includes all those food vendors I mentioned, about 75 arts and crafts vendors. Uh, We have a skateboarding event uh, up at Ballard Commons Park, uh, a kids' area, and, and lots of arts and crafts vendors, and just lots of things to do. This is really tailored to all ages, and it's it's really just a big, rich community celebration. That's awesome. Yeah, and I know our, our show sponsor, Heritage Distilling, is going to be out there, so there's going to be somewhere to get cocktails and beer as well, right? 
Absolutely. And we're really excited this year because in in our beer garden, we will have uh, essentially all of the Ballard Brewers. There are now 12. So we'll be selling exclusively Ballard beers. And in addition to that, we'll be having uh, all kinds of cocktails that the fine folks at Heritage Distilling have created uh, and have helped provide for our event. We actually have some really cool uh, drinkware that we'll be selling as well. It's a Silly Pint, which is a collapsible, it's not collapsible, but it's a, it's a soft silicone pint glass, which is pretty cool. So we're excited about that as well. That's awesome. And then it's actually, it's free to get in, right? So if you, if, but if you choose to purchase, you know, the seafood and the drinks or anything like that, where do those funds go? That's exactly right. It's a free community event, but for purchasing uh, beer and, and the seafood that we sale, sell, all of those funds uh, go to support the work of the Ballard Alliance. And so the Ballard Alliance is an improvement organization that represents the commercial businesses and as well, as well as the residential businesses in the area. And we do a lot of different things for the community. So we provide clean and safe services, which includes hiring Millionaire Club Charity uh, to clean our streets and sidewalks uh, twice a week year-round. We also partner with an organization called Breach, and uh, we fund a homelessness and mental health uh, outreach worker that works on behalf of the community in Ballard. Uh, and, and then we also advocate for issues from uh, transportation to public safety to economic development and, and even funding our holiday lights program uh, during November and December. All of that is funded through our organization and the proceeds from Seafood Fest help support all of those activities. I love it. So you can go, you can get in for free, but anything that you indulge on goes to help to make the community better. There's also going to be quite a lot of bands there. There are. We have a a really great lineup. Uh, So Friday night is Nightwave, which is an 80s cover band, uh, which makes for a really fun, festive atmosphere on Friday night. On Saturday, uh, the Joy Formidable is headlining, but we've got other great bands like Kyle Craft and Eldridge Gravy. Uh, And then on Sunday, it it keeps on going. Our headliners, the Moondoggies, uh, Pickwick, Karaoke, and the Dusty 45. So uh, just start to finish, it's going to be a great event and a great main stage. And, you know, for, for us, it's a great opportunity to be able to provide a free show like that and to be able to provide it outdoors right in the heart of Ballard. Yeah, that's that's going to be awesome. I know everybody's probably got plans for this weekend because it's 4th of July, but if you don't have plans for next weekend, make sure you check this out. I have to ask you one thing that I see on the website right now. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a loot fisk eating competition. There is a Ludfisk What is Ludfisk again? So Ludfisk is uh, it's essentially cod that has been dried in lye. Uh, so it creates a, a pretty interesting texture, uh, somewhat gelatinous. I don't know if this has been happening for 45 years, but it's certainly been <laughs> happening every year for, for a good uh, decade or two. And the competition is to see who can eat a pound of lutefisk the fastest. And we actually do three heats uh, and sort of pair the group down. It's usually 10 or 12, and we pair down to six and then get to the final two. So if you are lucky to be in the final round, you will have consumed about two and a half to three pounds of lutefisk. Ooh, wow. <laughs> when you describe it, it as gelatinous, I'm, I'm assuming that's pretty difficult to do. 
<laughs> it is, and it's it's quite a spectacle. But uh, you know, we've got a couple of competitors that have been here year in and year out, and uh, I, it never ceases to amaze me uh, just how much lutefisk they can eat in a period of five to ten minutes. Uh, that that would be entertaining. You also briefly mentioned the skateboarding competition. How does that work? So. Uh, in Valor Commons Park, which is uh, at kind of the north end of our festival, there's a great skate bowl in the park, and uh, we partner up with uh, an organization, Skate Like a Girl, and do a one-day event. So that's on Saturday, July 13th. It runs all day long. It includes some free lessons uh, for kids. We really want to get youth involved in skateboarding. Uh, there's a slalom contest, and then as the day goes on, uh, there's contests in the bowl. So we have an open division and a women's division uh, and have, you know, prizes for uh, best tricks, all kinds of things like that. So it's it's really fun. It's a great opportunity if you're thinking about skateboarding for the first time. This is a great way to get started, uh, have some lessons, and really, really have a lot of fun. So I think this is the sixth year that we've done this, and uh, it's just a terrific event. It sounds like there's a little something for everyone, and I love those kind of events, especially in the summer. Uh, where can people go to find more information? Yeah, for more information, uh, go to seafoodfest.org. You can find us there, find all of our uh, information. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, but seafoodfest.org certainly has all of the details. All right. Well, hopefully we see you out there. Do you compete in the Lutefisk Eating Competition? I don't. You know, <laughs> I help produce the event, so <laughs> therefore uh, I abstain, and I really want to make sure that opportunity is available for the community to uh, to partake in. <laughs> but I'm but I'm there every year watching, and yeah. uh, it's actually one of my favorite favorite parts of this event. I think I would probably just turn all of the food there in general to an eating competition and leave the loot fist for everyone else. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to tell us all about Ballard Seafood Fest going on next weekend, July 12th through 14th today. All right. Thanks, Maura. Coming up next, our good friend Distiller Dane has another top five. And there are some new bevandas in the Heritage Distilling Tasting Rooms. We're going to give you some of those recipes next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by our friend Distiller Dane, who's got a brand new top five for us. What's up, Dane? Not too much. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Getting all the way into summer here. I know. Summer's looking great so far. Great weather. I love it. I have a theory. I'm I'm guessing at least there's going to be some summer-related things to do on your top five. There is definitely almost all of them. There's quite a few. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Start us off. All right. Number one is a new product I just recently found. So I like to go hiking or out to the river or the beach, hang out for the day. And, you know, sometimes you always want to imbibe while you're there as well. But the hardest part is, you know, keeping your beverages cold without having to (laughs) lug a huge cooler around and some ice. So I found this product called the Hydro Flask and it actually comes in like a 22 liter backpack or a 24 liter kind of tote, which is all kind of roughly around a six gallon mark. It only weighs three pounds um, and it'll chill your food and drink up to 48 hours. It's also waterproof, scratch resistant um, and leak proof. And it just looks like a regular backpack or a tote and it looks amazing. Awesome. Nice. So what's this called? It is called the Hydro Flask. All right. We will check out the Hydro Flask. Number two. 
All right, number two. Previous weekend, I actually went over to Banks Lake in Washington for the first time. Have any of you guys been there before? No, I have not either. It's a huge lake, and it's actually the scenery around it is really cool. Um, I don't think too many people make it to that part of the central eastern Washington, but you know, like cascading hills on the side of it, almost like a dry, arid kind of area. But the lake is super nice. I actually stayed at a Sunbanks resort, which actually has a huge campground, but also these little mini houses you can rent directly on the lake. If you're going to go there, the best thing to do is definitely recommend going with like a boat or a jet ski or at least a kayak. But if you also just like hanging out next to the lake all day, it's really good for that as well. Those are all things I like. Yes. Number three. All right. Number three on my list is macaroons. I'm assuming you guys like macaroons as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> all right. Pro if macaroon. you're unfamiliar, it's a small little cookie-like pastry and there's a lot of macaroon shops popping up or places you can get them. They come in all different flavors. One of my favorite places to go is Lady Yum actually though. And are you guys familiar with Lady M? All right. Well, every Tuesday, they kind of have this little mini happy hour, I guess you could say. You basically pay $15 and it's bottomless champagne for the whole time you're there. And they probably have the best local selection of macaroons across the board. And they are all very delicious. They also uh, carry an assortment of all locally made shrubs. They can add the different flavors of shrubs to your champagne as well. Sounds delicious. Bottomless champagne and cookies? Sign yes. us up. <laughs> All right, what's next on your listing? Number four, so we were just talking about summer. All the flowers are blooming. I have a little collection on my porch, even though I'm in an apartment, but all my flowers, herbs, and plants are all coming out. And one of my favorite things about it is the hummingbirds that come. Because hummingbirds are kind of majestic, and they just kind of fly in, do their thing, and go away so quick. So I actually got hummingbird feeders for the first time this year. I recommend this to everyone. And you put them out, and you get the right proportion of sugar to water in there. They go absolutely crazy and they actually just come and drink all that even instead of touching the flowers. That's pretty neat. I've noticed that they really love to come and hang out in like the early evening, sort of like the twilight hours at our house in our garden. It's fun to watch. I could just hummingbird watch. Yeah, they're, it's really amazing to sit there and see them. The things I've noticed they've been most attracted to is also the lavender I have going. Oh, yeah. I seem to love that a lot. I don't blame them. You make a, a hummingbird nectar flavored vodka? <laughs> I'll, I'll try that. I'll make a little sample and put it out there and see how they cater to it. There you go. Maybe I'll slow them down a little. <laughs> All right. What's last on our uh, on our list this week? All right. Last on my list is I've always been a sucker for kind of the old, you know, like drive through milkshake and hamburger stands. This goes right in place with summertime as well. And down in Olympia, there's a brewery. I may have mentioned them on here before called Three Magnets Brewing. And they are actually doing a collaboration with Eastside Big Tom, which is the oldest drive through hamburger joint in Washington State. And starting just a few days ago, actually, they released... Uh, they're going to begin to release milkshake IPAs um, that are influenced by Big Tom's Shake of the Month. And the one they just released the other day was a milkshake IPA brewed with oranges and vanilla juice. Wow. Yum. So it seems like it's going to be a rotating series, which they're going to change with the milkshakes released by the drive-thru every month. And now, now you can go get a milkshake, a hamburger, and a beer that is collaborated with it. Sounds like a pretty good combo. Well, thank you so much, Dane, as always, for uh, joining us for another Top 5. All right. Thank you. Before we send you out on your way into the rest of the holiday weekend, we've got some great new cocktail recipes for you to try this week. We do. So in our Heritage Distilling Tasting Rooms, we've got six of them in the region, uh, two in Gig Harbor, one in Capitol Hill, one in Ballard, one in Rosin over by Sancadia Resort, and uh, one down in Eugene, Oregon. So we feature these what we call bevandas, which is the Italian word for drink or cocktail. And uh, our team works very hard to put together 
fresh sheets and seasonal Bavanda offerings for consumers to go in and sample the products. We've got four great ones we're featuring right now for the months of July and August. Uh, one is called the Floridora, which has both uh, ginger beer, lime juice, raspberry vodka, and some gin. It's a fantastic cocktail. We've got our own twist on a Gimlet, which has some lime coriander bitters, some uh, Demerara from the Raft Company, which is a simple syrup. And it's a gin-based cocktail, a classic gin gin Gimlet with a twist we've got on it. We've got a Fig Old Fashioned, and that includes bare root black cherry bitters, Lieber and Company caramelized fig syrup, which is out of this world, and some of our dual barrel old fashioned bourbon. And that is a great, that's a great cocktail to make in the pitcher to be able to pour out when you've got uh, quite a, you know, a party or a cocktail gathering or uh, even a barbecue in the backyard. I will be in the last one we're featuring. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. So we are uh, featuring is our peach pear punch, which includes the Lieber and Company pineapple gum syrup, which is a really interesting product. Mm. Um, a small brand called Girl Meets Dirt makes these shrub concoctions. So we have a, an island plum shrub from Girl Meets Dirt, mm. some lemon juice, and some peach vodka. We'll, we'll post all of these cocktails on the uh, the webpage for Cast Club Radio and on social media. But if you walk into any one of the six tasting rooms, our uh, staff can get you set up, show you how to make these at home, and then send you on your way with everything you need to make great cocktails for your family and guests. I love it. It's great uh, party planning. You have lots of different options, whether you're what, whatever your palate may be. I think there's something that appeals to everybody in here. Right. And size-wise, you can make it for a single one, or we've got options for a whole party. Love it. Well, these available online at heritagedistilling.com, where you can also download episodes of the podcast. That's right. You can also find us on social media at Cast Club Radio on Facebook and on Instagram. And you can send us comments, questions, ideas, suggestions to caskclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. Perfect. Well, everybody have an amazing holiday weekend celebrating with friends and family. Be safe. We'll see you here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.